Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much for this youth group and for the opportunities we have in this country to read Your Word freely. And we pray, Lord, if You're really out there, that You would show Yourself. Maybe that there's people doubting, people unsure. Lord, that You would, you would just show up tonight in an unmistakable way so that we know that we heard from You clearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Everyone wants to feel like they belong. And because of that, people look for a place in which they feel that they belong. You'll always try to find that click. You know, this is why gangs are so prevalent in urban cities. Because you want to find a group of people that you can relate with. You have cliques in youth group, you have cliques in your school, you have cliques with your friends, because you have a posse, you have a group of people that you roll with, that identify with you, that get you. So in a way, we're all kind of building something. We're all building something of our identity, something that we can find commonality in. So you'll hang out with your friends that have the same interests or have the same goals or whatever because you're all building something together. You're working on something together. You'll work, work on your homework together. You'll put a project. You'll, you'll be in a band and make music together. People are building things. You see, and, and Jesus at this time, as we've been learning, is about to go to the cross and he had this posse, this clique, this group of followers, 12 of them, who had been with him day in and day out for three entire years. They left everything to follow Jesus because they felt like by following Jesus, they would finally have the peace that they've been longing for. If I follow Jesus, I will finally get what I've been looking for. And because of that, they were willing to forsake everything else. Peter left his fisherman job. You know, Matthew was a tax collector and he stopped doing that. They left what they had, their families, and went to follow Jesus. But now in last week, uh, or two weeks ago when we, we learned about chapter 13, what happened? Well, Jesus told them that one of them, the tightest group of best friends forever, one of them was going to betray him. This is un unthinkable. Like, really? Someone in this group where we've all staked our lives together, someone's going to betray you? What do you mean? Who is it? And not only that, but then Jesus says, and not only is one of you going to betray me, but I'm going to have to leave you guys. I'm going to have to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And Peter says, no. What are you talking about? These are the best three years of my life. We raised the dead. We like turned water into wine. We cast out demons, all this awesome stuff. And now you're telling me you're leaving? What's all that about? And on top of that, the one who starts defending Jesus and says, no, 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 listen. Don't be worried, Jesus. See, you're pretty stressed out. See, you're stressed out about this guy betraying you, but don't worry. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And then Jesus says, and you're one of those people that's going to betray me. This very night, you're going to deny me three times in front of a little girl. 
So now you can imagine they're starting to get really stressed out. Okay, Jesus says, listen, you're going to betray me. There already is one that's going to sell me for 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to leave you guys. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, he was calling them to build a foundation, to build this thing together, but to build it on the solid rock foundation of Jesus. You see, everyone wants that place where they belong. Everyone wants that community, that clique, that thing where they have people together that love each other and we're working towards this thing. You have a thing, okay? But unless it's built on the solid foundation of Jesus, it's going to be destroyed one day. Because only Jesus, only God, is eternal. There is a mansion, I don't know if you saw in the news, the moose, that's not even a word. I don't, I don't know if you saw in the news, but in the past week, there's a mansion, this Florida couple uh, spent their entire life savings to buy this million dollar home in northern Texas. And it was right on this, you know, this cliff uh, edge, and you could see the, the shore, and there's, you know, perfect view of the sunset, and it's, it looks amazing. They spent all their money on this mansion. Little did they know that buying this mansion uh, would lead them into a whole lot of trouble. Because the mansion, since it was on a cliff, the cliff actually started to split. And so the mansion was essentially falling into the ocean. And so you could actually see, if you look it up on Google later today, there's this giant crack that goes through the house. And so one day, people knock on this couple's door and say, listen, you got to get out of the house because you're going to fall into the sea. And they are like, oh, well, maybe, all right, well, that's, that's really distressing, but maybe we'll try to get it fixed. Or like, no, 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 listen, you got to get out of there now. It's unstable. And you see, when your foundation, when you're building something and it's not on Jesus, you don't know when it's all going to crumble. You don't know if that job that you've been working for, that career or that that school you've been trying to get into, or that thing you've been working so hard, that sport, you don't know if one day you're going to get injured and you can't work. You're going to get injured you can't play that sport. You don't know if one day it's all going to fail. And that's the tragedy, is many people build their entire lives on things that are temporary. But Jesus says, listen, don't be troubled. You've been so concerned about building this thing. You've been so concerned about building your reputation, building a relationship. You're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm investing in this person and like, I feel like we're getting really close now and you invest all your time into a person that might potentially one day fail you. Or you're building your reputation like, oh yeah, I'm, I just want to make sure everyone respects me, everyone worships me, everyone looks at me and says, yeah, that guy is awesome and they're going to follow me and and you're building that reputation. And what if that reputation one day crumbles? Because you see, everything that's not built on the solid foundation of Jesus will fail. So let me ask you this. What is your mansion? Maybe it's not a house. But what are you building that makes you feel safe and secure? Because it doesn't matter, you know, if you don't want a big house. People want big houses not because they look nice. I mean, some of them do, but it gives them safety, security. Yes, this house will never fail. I have security in it because I have these alarm systems and no one will ever break in. And look, 
status. You know, I'm so cool, I have a giant house. So maybe you don't want a house, but what is it that is your thing that makes you feel safe and secure? This is your comfort zone. You always have to be the class clown, because if people aren't laughing, you feel insecure. Like, oh, I said something, it wasn't that funny. And, oh no, maybe people don't think I'm funny now. Or maybe your security is your grades. I always need to make, I always need to make uh, first in class, I always have to get all the A's, and the day you get a B, it's, your life is over. It's done. Where is your safety, and where is your security? And see, actually, the difficulty about mansions, the difficulty about these things that we're building, is the bigger it is, the bigger it'll fall if it's not on a solid foundation. Doesn't matter how good it looks. Doesn't matter how you look to other people and how I have it all together on the outside. I do my makeup for like three hours and I take an Instagram photo and everyone thinks I have it all together. But really inside, you know that any day you could snap. There are many people like that in our day and that's because they're not putting their foundation, uh, they're not putting their trust in the foundation of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them will be a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came, the, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it, was, and it fell, and great was its fall, was its fall. You see, unless your house is built on something eternal, it's going to crumble. It's going to be like a gingerbread house. It doesn't matter how tasty it looks and how good. And like, oh man, it looks like an awesome place to live. No, you're going to have maggots inside and one day it's going to crumble because it was never built to last. We need to find the thing that gives us true security, the thing that makes us feel safe, not what seems nice and what, not what seems to work on the outside, but we need to know the truth. And that goes for Christianity too. Listen, I'm not saying just believe in Jesus just because. I'm saying believe in Jesus because he himself said, I am the truth. Now either he was a liar or he was telling the truth. It's only one way or the other. If it is true, then anything that is opposed to Jesus is false. And if it's false, then why are we here? We're just basing our hope in something that is a lie. See, we need to know the truth. It's not enough to, I mean, some people take painkillers to take care of the symptoms, right? You take the medicine because it takes away the symptoms. But you don't just take any medicine. It's like, well, I have a stomachache, so I'm just going to take whatever I feel like taking, whatever's in my cabinet. Okay, we have, like, antihistamine, and I'm going to take that. You need the solution. Not just, well, well I like the way that sounds. Antihistamine sounds great. I'm going to take it. You need the thing that's going to solve your problem. And listen very carefully. If there's pain in your body... That shows there's something wrong with your body. If there's pain in this world, that shows there is something wrong with this world. And the truth of the matter is not to ignore the symptoms, but to address it. Where is my investment? Ask yourself, with what I'm building right now, will it last? How do you know that? How do you know if it's going to last or not? Ray, here's the test. Can it be tested? How do you know if something will last? Well, you have to test it. You know, as I'm a rock climber, 
A lot of people climb on ropes, and every rope that a climber climbs on is tested because they don't want to just go up on a cliff, 100 feet, and then find out, oh, I'm sorry, it's just 99% of the time it holds people. It's 1%, and you're just happy the person that dies. You test the rope to make sure it's able to hold you. If you have a parachute, you test the parachute. You pack it, and you make sure that it's safe and secure. You don't just say, well, I just trust this. It's probably going to hold me. I'm going to jump out this plane now. You want to make sure that what you're believing in, how much more should the thing that you stake your life on be based on truth and not just, oh, I'd like it to be true. Oh, yeah, I hope so. Oh, I grew up this way. Yeah, my parents told me to believe this. You know, I think a lot of us, we're just so tired, so much information all the time. People tell you one thing and people tell you another, so you're just, you're tired of it and you're done. You're like, okay, whatever, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to think about it anymore. And so you get your advice from literally every person that wants to give you advice. I mean, think about what fortune cookies are. Fortune cookies are some people that you've never seen before, that somehow you're going to trust them that they put these messages in the cookie and you're going to listen to wisdom. But I looked up online last night some of the worst fortunes found in fortune cookies. Here's one. You will be hungry again in one hour. Wow. Wisdom. Everlasting wisdom. You laugh now. Wait till you get home. Don't know what that means. Here's a really good one. Your resemblance to a Muppet will prevent the world from taking you seriously. Yes, I looked it up online. It's, it's great. Um, maybe you don't get your advice from a fortune cookie, but where are you getting your advice from? Because you see, a lot of people can give you advice, but can it be tested? Not just, oh, I, I don't want to think about it. I just, you know, it's probably true. But can it be tested? You know, a lot of people tell you to go spend your time at parties, getting drunk, getting wasted. You know, go flirt with some people. Just see what happens. You know, to think about the consequences later. But you know what? There are a lot of people that live their lives that way and ends terribly miserable. I mean, if sex, money, and drugs could give you happiness, why aren't celebrities the most happy people on the planet? And yet, that should show us that our foundation shouldn't be built on what man can give you, but we were actually designed with desires that draw us away from this world. If the, C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find in myself desires that nothing in the world can satisfy, the only logical conclusion is that I was made for another world. But if your life is built on the word, if it's built on this, and this is truth, then we can listen to the command of Jesus who says, listen, I know you're going through circumstances. I know you're going through troubles. You're worried. You feel like the world is ending. But let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's not saying these two different things, like you believe in God and, and I'm different than God. He's saying I am God. And the very fact that you're believing in God, remember, this is Jesus coming down in the flesh, saying, now listen, I need you to believe that when I came down here and I told you the things from the beginning, I need you to believe the words that I told you. And he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see, Jesus was leaving the disciples. 
to prepare a place for them. That place where they long to be. See, Jesus said, listen, we've been, we've been hanging out for a long time. This is great. The past few years have been awesome. But one day that's going to end. So instead, I'm leaving you now for the very purpose of preparing a place that will never, ever end. A place that is eternal. And with this place, you don't have to worry about circumstances. You don't have to worry about tears. You don't have to worry about pain and sorrow because it's a place where sorrow and pain cannot touch. Think about it for a moment. God is building you a mansion. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare that place for you. Now you might be thinking, what kind of mansion is it? Okay, I know that God's making something and he wants us to build on the things that last and whatever. It sounds good, but what's it like? Like, how do I know it's going to be any good? Well, think about this analogy. If your favorite band, let's say it's 21 Pilots, says, hey, what's up, man? I just found you on Facebook randomly somehow or on Instagram. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to write you a personal song. I'm going to get to know you, and I'm going to write you a song just for you, all about you. How much would you freak out? I mean, most of us freak out when someone tweet replies us. Like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But your favorite artist wants to make a song for you. You freak out. How much more should we freak out when the God of the universe says, listen, I'm making a place specifically for you to live in. I know who you are. I know what you're like more than anyone else. And I'm making a place specifically designed and suited for you. A place where you belong. That's exciting. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The Bible says a lot about heaven. It says that there will be streets paved with gold. There will be no more sin, no more hurt, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. And Jesus Christ the person we've been waiting for all our lives is going to be there. And it says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A place of rejoicing, a place of partying, a place where we can finally no longer have to wait, a place where we no longer have to hope, but that hope is right before us. A person we can recognize a person who's been watching us our entire lives. The person when we were struggling and he saw us. The person when we were ready to give up and he held us. And he picked us up and put our feet back on solid ground. And say, there you were. This whole time I doubted, but now I have seen. You know, everyone in history, Christians throughout history, have recognized that the highest experience is the experience of God. People in the Old Testament knew that if you saw God, you would die. Because God is the most, not only the most beautiful, but the most powerful being in the entire universe. No man could see him with sinful eyes and live. And so there's always been that separation, always been that gap. We've always been seeing God through a glass. Even Moses only saw the backside of the glory of God. He wasn't able to fully experience him. The Bible says that no one's been able to see God face to face. But one day you and I will be able to experience God for all that he's worth. You ever just like, you're looking at someone and you're like, man, that, that girl is fine. You can't get your eyes off of them. 
What's captivating about that person in a non-weird way? There is a beauty that's there. And God is the most beautiful being on the planet so that, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be weird in that way, but what I am saying is that when you look at God, you'll be captivated. You'll be in awe. You can't help but stare. Wow. Wonder. This is the person that I've been waiting for my entire life, and there he is right before me. Look at verse 4. Because maybe you're thinking at this point, that sounds great, but how do I get there? How do we get to this place? Well, that's exactly what the disciples said. Verse 4, it says, And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, not just I am the way, I am the truth, and I, I am the life. But he says, I am the way because I am the truth. I am the way because I alone have the keys to eternal life. And a lot of other religions and cultures find this really offensive. Listen, you're going to go into your schools, you're going to go with your friends that aren't Christian, and they're going to think that you're crazy. And they're going to be like, how can you say that Jesus is the only way? Who are you to say that? But think about this. Because most people, when they say that, they're just assuming that to claim exclusivity, to say that there's only one way, somehow ignorant, somehow proud, boastful. But we don't take that approach to any other science, math. Like, you say that one plus one equals two. What a fool. Who do you think you are? A person who says, I'm a man. Like, no, well, you could be a cow too. How do I know that you're not a cow? Who do you think you are? Proud. Proud man thinking that you're a man and not a cow. We should be more ambiguous. I'm one with the universe, kind of a thing. There's nothing wrong with saying that there is one truth. And it's not my truth. It's not something like, well, everyone should believe what I believe. You don't even have to believe it. Just ask yourself, are the claims of Jesus true or false? The only areas that we're relativists, meaning what's true for me is different for you and whoever else, is art and religion. Look at that painting. Doesn't it move you? Like, no, it doesn't really move me. It's like, oh, well, it moves me because it isn't. And then you just interpret it however you want. Like, I see what you've made. Like, you ever had, art teachers can be, not, no offense, some of the weirdest people. Because you'll look at a painting and you'll, like, paint something. Like, I remember, like, you know, the album covers my mom made, and people would be like, I see! The red symbolizes the blood of Jesus! Yes! And I'm like, right! You are exactly right! And people will find meaning in things that I never intended to have meaning in my songs and whatever. It's like, sure! Whatever you make it out to be, that's fine. Art and religion are the only two places. But this isn't just religion. This isn't just a belief. This is something you're staking your life on, so you better know that it's true. Like I said before, you don't want to just take any medicine. You want to take the medicine that will actually cure you. So how do you know that Jesus is the only way? The only way. You know, there's a popular atheist named Christopher Hitchens. He passed away, but he was one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. And he would say things like, Christians are so boastful. How can you say that there's only one way when you haven't examined the rest? 
There's like 3,000 religions. How do you know that 3,000 of them are wrong and yours is the only right one? Have you examined every other religion? And most of us would stand there and be like, oh, I don't know. I have to go home and research 3,000 other religions. No, you don't. You don't have to search every other religion to know that yours is, is true. And this is how. I'll show you by way of analogy. Let's say that you're going into a house and you have a set of 2,000 keys. 2,000. You're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? But by some chance... You find the right key, and you open the door. Does that mean you have to go through the other keys to make sure that that was the right key? No, because you open the door. It works. In the same way, you don't have to try out every other religion if you found the truth, because when you find the truth, the truth shall set you free. When you turn on the light switch, you can see in the darkness. And if Jesus is the light of the world, you don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to stumble around. You don't have to wonder where you're going, because you see clearly now. And that's what Christians are saying. Not that we've examined every other religion, because some of us have and some of us haven't. But you have experienced, you have seen, and you know that this really is the son of the living God. You don't have to date every other woman to know that the person that you want to marry is the right woman. That'd be really weird. Well, you know what? I've thought about marrying you, but let me just go date everyone else first. And I'll come back to you. There's like 6 billion people, 3 billion women on the planet. And uh, we'll come back in a little bit. That would be awkward. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. So you've got to test it. Because you see, if Jesus is not the only way to God, he isn't any way to God. If Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, then he isn't any way to heaven. But if he is, it makes sense that he would be the only one because it's his house. Heaven is his home. Why wouldn't he be the only one with the keys? Everyone else is a thief and a robber. And if they go in by some other way than the door, then they're weird. And you should slap them, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Let's continue on in verse 6, 7. If you had known me, you would have, you have, would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord... Show us the Father. <laughs> That'll be enough. It'll be sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I, that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Basically, this summed that all up. He's saying, haven't you seen enough of me yet? Like, I've been healing these people. I've been doing all these things. If you're not going to trust me, would you at least believe the miracles that I'm doing? We've been hanging out for three years. Come on, Philip. Get with the program. Look at verse 12. This I, I want us to really hone in, because this is where my heart is right now. The Lord has really been speaking this to me. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anything in my name, I'll do it. Have we asked? What is that thing to you? 
What's the one thing you're like, there's no possible way God would ever do this to me? There's no possible way God would ever answer this prayer. What is that one thing? She says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He says, the works that you see me do now, you're going to do greater works. You read that, and what question pops up in your mind? How are we going to do greater works than Jesus? What does that even mean? Well, greater in terms of scope. You see, when Jesus was saying this to the disciples, partly the reason why there's so much unbelief is they didn't yet have the Holy Spirit in them. They didn't have God dwelling inside of them. So they were just not understanding anything that he's saying. But once they had the Holy Spirit within them, then it wasn't just Jesus going from city to city. It was disciples going throughout the entire world able to do the exact same works that Jesus was doing. But how many of us are not seeing those works because we're not asking how many of us are not seeing healing because we haven't asked? How many of us are not seeing prayers answered because we're not even praying? You're not bringing your prayers to Jesus. You're bringing your prayers to church. You're not bringing your concerns to God. You're bringing your concerns to your friend. I'm so stressed out. This person said this. I can't believe that. Oh, I don't know what to do now. Cast your care before the Lord. He cares for you. What are we doing with our concern? What are we doing with our worry? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And now, because we've been doubting so much, because we've been so worried, he says, if you ask anything in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see, I, I think there's a lot of things that's going to happen within this next year. But here's my concern. Ready? Here's my worry. I think right now, you guys have pretty much seen what goes on in youth group. We study God's word. We learn about God, and, and we fellowship with one another. We love one another. That's really important, and I hope you guys catch that vision. But some of you are getting discouraged. Some of you are being weighed down. And you're looking to other solutions than Jesus. It's plain and simple. The concern that's on your mind is just too heavy or just too concerned about your future, so you stop coming to church. You start going to other people and other solutions. But have you asked God? Have you actually taken the time to get on your knees and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, in Mark chapter 9, someone comes up to Jesus, a father who has this demon-possessed son, brings him to the disciples. Disciples can't cast him out. Pastor Lloyd was talking about this this past Wednesday. Amazing message, you got to listen to it later. But the disciples said, why could we not cast it out? You ever feel like that? You've been trying so hard. I've been praying, I've been trying everything, and it's not working. But you see, they were lacking something. Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and by fasting. The father came up to Jesus and said, Lord, if you can do anything, if you can do anything... Would you heal my son? You know what Jesus says? If I can? If I can do anything. Everything is possible to those that believe. What's your anything? What is your thing? What is the thing that you're worried about? If you bring it to God, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible when you have Jesus. But have we asked? And I'm worried because I think this time next year, we might have a thriving youth group. We might have hundreds of kids. We might have 20 kids. 
We might have excited kids. But will it be you? Or will it be someone else? Will you guys give up? And say, oh, I tried, I tried, I tried, but I wasn't able to find the peace. And if that's you, you're still walking around without that peace, pay attention because we're going to get right to that. How can we find that peace? How can we go on when we feel like we're ready to give up? Well, he says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper was the first one. Jesus. Jesus is your helper. But here's another one. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. You see, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Because you get to actually be a part of this creation renewing process. Before Jesus comes back and reigns here on this earth, you get to be a part of this process where you're going out, people are getting saved. Wow, that person just came to know God. Awesome. Creation's being renewed. Awesome. I'm going out and I'm going to start this school. You know, the Lord really put this on my heart. I want to go change people's lives. I'm going to do this renewing process. Man, I want the gospel to go forward. And I want to start this website that gets that out. Awesome. Renewing process. Renewing people's minds. God wants you to be a part of this creation renewing process. He says, if you really love me, keep my commandments. Not because they're burdensome. Not because they're like, oh, I really have to. And I guess I probably should abstain from all these things. But do it because you love God and you want to be a part of his work. You see, when you cleanse yourself from bad things, when you cleanse yourself from sin, you enable yourself to be a vessel that's able to be used for any work that God has for you. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you go to this place? Why don't you... you don't have to worry about sin or guilt. Hey, I'm going to call you out to be a missionary in Africa. Awesome. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. There's nothing holding me back. I have no grudges. I have no bitterness. I have nothing holding me back from what God wants to say to me. There's no clutter. When I'm singing a Bible study, I'm listening to God's voice, not distractions, not my guilt, not my shame, because my shame has been cleansed by God, and now I'm ready to hear and receive what he has for me. So God gives us his helper, and he wants us to be a part of his process, because you see, as God is away, not away like he's not here, but as Jesus went into heaven and is preparing a place for us in heaven, we should be preparing this earth for God. And also preparing our hearts for God to dwell within us. Now what does that mean? What does that mean that God dwells within us? Well, let's continue. Verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father. And you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Just like we said before. If you want to build anything that lasts, build on the truth. Build on the word of God. Because though the flower fades and, you know, uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. That's the only thing that you can count on in this life. People will fail you. Your friends will fail you. The plans that you have will fail you. But only Jesus 
you can count on. And that is a reassuring thing. Because when Jesus is living inside of you and living inside of others, all of a sudden it makes other people trustable, doesn't it? You don't have to worry about that person just completely having the worst interests in mind and wants to just destroy you when you know that the same God that's living inside of you lives inside of them. And it's going to convict them of sin if they really do have God. It can be, uh, you can give people the benefit of the doubt knowing that the same God that loves you loves that person. And as, as far as they've run and as far as they've gone, God is going to look for ways to bring them back. Let's go to this closing passage in verse 25. Here it is. A passage about peace. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The world tries to give you peace, doesn't it? The world has a lot of advice. Some mantras. Some things to hold on to. It's interesting to, to note that in Buddhism, a lot of these other religions, they practice meditation by doing what? Emptying your mind. Let's not think about it. If I just get in my happy place, I'll reach nirvana by not thinking about stuff. See, this is the world's definition of peace. To not think about it. I'll go on vacation so I can get rid of my distractions. I won't go to school so I don't have to think about my homework and the friends I don't care about and whatever. People think peace is the absence of difficulty. Don't they? If I just get difficulty out of my life, I will have peace. Well, what kind of peace is that? That means your circumstances control you. And the only way you have peace is as long as you don't have difficulty. But here's the news for you. You will always have difficulty in this world. There will always be trials. There will always be tribulations. So how do you overcome that? That's where Jesus says, be of good cheer. In this world you'll have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And here's the good news for you. So everyone pay attention to this. Peace is not the absence of difficulty... It's the presence of the Almighty God living inside of you. This Greek word helper is parakletos. What does that mean? It means lawyer. What does that mean? Well, what does a lawyer do? I went to court this past week because I got in trouble because I got pulled over because I was speeding or something like that. And I got the ticket reduced, but I didn't have my insurance because my insurance company was just like, hey, I don't want to send you insurance anymore, so we're going to put it online. I didn't know that. All I had to do was show my phone to him, and I would have been able to get off, but I didn't have my insurance card, my paper card, so I had to go to court and went to court, and as I'm there in court, it's the most boring day ever, and you wouldn't believe some of the things that people have done, and the lawyers that they hire. Like, some of them are really good lawyers, and they get off with everything. It's like, yeah, you just killed someone, but you have a good lawyer. Go free. Your sin has been forgiven. And then others, like, there was this one lawyer that was defending this person, and this woman shoplifted, and the judge is like, okay, so I see that you shoplifted, and we closed this case because last time you said, I'm guilty of shoplifting, and we resolved it, and you had to pay this money, you had to go to jail or whatever. So why are you back? Well, said the lawyer, well, she wasn't represented last time. She didn't have anyone defending her. So we thought you should open this case because if she doesn't have uh, this case changed in her favor, she's going to lose her job. And the judge says, well, what is that? Why do I care if she loses her job? She committed a crime. She did, it, she did wrong, and she said she was guilty. 
And she was under oath, so what do you want me to do about it? And Lori says, well, listen, she didn't have anyone defending her. He's like, yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? This is the worst lawyer I've ever heard. It's like, what is he thinking? And just like, well, let me look at the record. Oh, wait, I'm the one who did this case last time. So unless I just forgot to ask her, like, uh, to, to read her her rights, I'm pretty sure she's guilty, and I'm pretty sure we don't have to talk about this. But you know what? Since I'm such a just judge, I'm going to give you the time to go back and revisit this case, collect your thoughts, and come back to me and present a better case. I was like, ouch, you're paying this lawyer so much money to do a terrible job. God is not that lawyer. But this is what God does do. Here's the cool thing. Lawyers advocate on your behalf to a judge that typically speaks a language you can't understand. I mean, when people are speaking legal jargon, I have no idea what they're saying. And they're saying all this stuff about laws and ordinances and 3973 and whatever. And I'm just like, well, I, just, I have no idea what to say. And I have no idea how to defend myself. But that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit living inside of you is that lawyer, is that defender. So check this out. And this is how, this is, you can have the key to peace wherever you go, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you experience. When you encounter a difficulty, you have a person come up to you and say, you know what, you're a loser. You have an inner lawyer, don't you? I don't think you're a loser. When you have a failure in life, man, I can't believe it. I completely sinned. I completely messed up. I can't believe I keep doing this. You have an inner lawyer. Yeah, but I forgave you of that sin. Though your sins were as scarlet, now they are washed as white as snow. You carry within you now this defender. That no matter what obstacle you encounter, it doesn't matter because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And not only does he defend you, but it says here in this verse in in verse 25, or 26, uh, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You're like, oh, I don't know much of the Bible. It's okay. You read a little bit of the Bible, and those verses is going to remind you. But that's why it's so important to read God's word, because you can't bring things to remembrance if you haven't even read them. But if you've heard them, that's the key. And now God can bring it back to your remembrance. And as you're evangelizing, you're telling people about Jesus, all of a sudden you're giving the gospel, you're giving the Romans, wrote it, like, where, where did that come from? It's the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Wow, that's awesome. When you're discouraged, when you're feeling empty, you don't have to stay that way because all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reminds you. Psalm 139. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts I, I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and I of evil to give you a future and a hope. All of a sudden, the difficulties become so much smaller because you have this advocate, you have this lawyer, this helper that's living inside of you that's always taking care of the battle. You have this warrior. It's better than an archangel. It's better than a personal bodyguard. You have this person who's able to help you encounter any difficulty that you would ever experience in life. And that's why Jesus says, listen, the world tells you to empty yourself. Just don't, don't think about it. Just get away, and we'll, we'll deal with it later. But that doesn't give you peace because you don't have peace with God. And instead of the emptying, the Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. It says, whatever things are noble, true, just, pure, if there's anything good, of good report, think on these things. Because the fullness of God is going to give you that peace. And not this peace that's just like, well, it's, it's there one day and there, it's gone another day, but a peace that lasts, a peace that, that he leaves with us. You see, Jesus, 
when he said peace, that word is shalom. And most of you that know any Jewish people, you know I'm half Jewish, you have Jewish friends that shalom is your greeting, but it's also your farewell message. It's your goodbye. And when Jesus says, I'm saying goodbye to you, I'm not just saying I'm leaving you with peace, like peace out, man. I'm not giving you this flimsy peace like the world gives. I'm not just saying, yeah, yeah, have a good life. How's your day? How's it going? You know those empty phrases that we always greet each other with? But he says, this peace I'm leaving with you because it's not just words, it's the living word. It's a person that's there to stay with you. So even though I go, here I am with you. Even to the end of the age. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you will rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. Verse 29. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer touch, talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. What he basically says is, listen, Satan, he's got nothing on me. But that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. Here's the conclusion. Here's where we all end for today. If peace were a house... Only God has the keys. If you're looking for that place where you belong, you're looking for a place where people accept you, you're never going to find that place unless you find peace with God. We know that if you place your trust in God, if you place your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what buildings fall down around you because you have a building in heaven. You have a home that's designed without hands. That's eternal. An inheritance that one day God will give you because you're his creation and he values you. He loves you. He loves you so much he gave his only son to die for you. That you wouldn't have to live this life miserably forever, but one day it will end and one day you can live without that fear anymore. Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. People have said that there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of your heart. There's a hole that only God can fill. So if you want to find a place where you truly belong, you have to give God the space in your heart that He belongs in. If you're looking for peace, you're looking for the place that God has for you, give God His space. Give God His place in your heart. Say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I don't know what this means. I don't really understand all this language. I don't understand what these Christians are talking about. But one thing I know, that the, the stuff I'm trusting in right now, it's not going to hold me. I have a time limit. I'm like that mansion. There's a crack right down the middle, and at any moment, it could fall into the ocean. I'm fragile. I'm at the end of my road, and I need help. I need something. And you know what? That's where God meets you and says, let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. 